as most of you know, I will be retiring the uh, end of August. And Chris Tanner will be moving over to uh, become the senior minister. So in order to make the transition as smooth as possible, beginning in May, Chris and I are going to be switching roles and he will be functioning as the senior pastor and I will be functioning as the teaching pastor. Um, Chris does any number of things really well, but there are times that we just talk and it's easier for us to have a conversation if I'm here. So we're, we're switching the roles ahead of time. It seems very practical. He can walk out of his office and um, just four steps down and so we talk at different times throughout every week. So anyway, I think it's a practical idea and I just want to let you know that that was happening. So um, we have a handout. Some of you like handouts. You have one even if you don't like it. So there it is. Um, Thursday morning at uh, 8.34, there was a text that was on a group text that came to several of us, and it was from Tanner. <clears throat> and Thursday morning he says, I'll be fine. I solo wrecked my motorcycle. Thank God I didn't hit a tree or fence post, and there was no oncoming traffic. Coming over the hill by our house, I lost control as I crested it. And he told me that he was about a quarter mile from his house, leaving his house. When I stopped sliding across pavement, I walked to, neighbors, to the neighbor's yard and sat down to try calling Andrea, but my phone was missing. My neighbor called her for me. Good news, I met all my new neighbors. We agreed maybe not crashing into the yard would be a better way to meet next time. Good people. I'm skinned up and bruised, but x-rays and CT scans are all clear for injuries. I have a non-displaced second metatarsal fracture on my left foot. That's your uh, toe by, beside your big toe. I didn't know that, I had to look it up. I walk on it and it's tender. And so as I read that, I got to thinking, so Chris is coming in and is going to be doing what I did, and I remember almost five years ago, something that I did to my left foot, and how everybody was very kind and thoughtful and helpful. And I wondered, is the boy seeking attention? He's not very creative as he does this, though. I mean, come on. He continues, market tip, buy Neosporin shock, stock. <laughs> I'm going to be rubbing it on my knees and elbows for a while. Praise God, no oncoming car, no tree, no telephone pole. I am a blessed man. Now, his bike, once he went off the bike, did go and take out a, a, a fence post, so he wasn't on it. Discharged last night, which had been a Wednesday, slept in my own bed, could not be more grateful for God's merciful protection. So, there you go, Chris. So, on January the 15th, 
which is six Sundays ago, I brought the first of three messages on uh, God's great grace and of his great grace to us. And I concluded the message with a video of Dick and Rick Hoyt. Some of you may know of them, but Dick and Rick Hoyt, Dick is the dad, Rick is the son. Because of an accident in his birth, Rick uh, had cerebral palsy and could not uh, speak. Along about the age of 15, Rick, with the aid of a computer, special computer, was able to communicate to his dad that he wanted to run. And so Dick, who was not a runner, began training and so with 5Ks and first of all in a wheelchair and then in a special wheelchair, for three and a half or so decades, Dick, who loves his son, was gracious to him and pushed his son in about 30 some odd marathons, triathlons, and they logged thousands of miles because of the dad Dick loving his son Rick. The next Sunday, five Sundays ago on the 22nd, I spoke about God's great grace through us to Christian brothers and sisters. I began the message with a story of Chippy the parakeet. Chippy the parakeet was loved by his owner, and she was doing a very kind thing and cleaning out his cage with a vacuum. The phone rang, she turned her head and sucked up Chippy into the vacuum. Not a good move. Chippy survived, didn't really sing a whole lot after that. The point of that was this. Sometimes we as Christians get sucked up into messes of our Christian brothers and sisters, but even in the midst of a mess that we didn't create with our Christian brothers and sisters, God expects us to still show his great grace to them. Today we look at God's great grace through us to outsiders. David Kinnaman is the CEO of Barna Group. Barna Group is a research company which works with nonprofits, churches, and businesses. 10 plus years ago, David Kinnaman wrote a book entitled Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity. He had three years of research with young adults aged 16 to 29, and he came up with six observations or six assessments or six perceptions they have about Christians. And because of these six perceptions that these people have about us as Christians, they are less inclined to follow Jesus. Now we may or may not agree with these six perceptions, but I want us to look at them and to see if we are guilty of those perceptions. So these are on your handout. And uh, here we go. Perception number one, we Christians are hypocritical. Outsiders consider us hypocritical. We say one thing and we do another. They are skeptical of our morally superior attitudes. Do I present this image to outsiders? Could I be hypocritical? 
Perception number two. We are too focused on getting converts. It's like we want a notch in our belt because we won someone to the Lord. And so they question their motives when we try to share with them about Jesus. They kind of sometimes think that they're a target. But the, the question is this, do I genuinely care for the outsiders that I know? Perception number three, we are anti-homosexual. Had this book been written today, it would have had said something about LGBTQA plus community. And they say that we Christians are bigoted and show disdain for them. And that we do our best to leverage political solutions on them. So, is this accurate about me? Is this how I feel and how I behave toward the LGBTQA plus community? Perception number four. We are sheltered. We live a sheltered life. We're old-fashioned, boring, and out of touch with reality. And so, this group of people says we don't respond to reality in appropriately complex ways. Honestly, I'm thinking sometimes the best answer is really pretty simple. And they say we are not willing to deal with the grit and the grime in other people's lives. So the question for me is this, am I really willing to get engaged and get involved in dealing with the grit and the grime in other people's lives? Perception number five, we are too political. We are motivated by a political agenda. Now, in the years since this book was written, we could very easily and honestly say that the other side has gotten incredibly political. But the question is this, are my motives born out of love for God and for others? Perception number six, we are judgmental. Outsiders think of Christians as quick to judge others. They doubt that we really love other people as we say we do. So the question is this, do I honestly and genuinely love other people? And a question I have on your handout is this, do I have a weak area in any of the above perceptions? So as I digested these six different perceptions, a thought came to my mind. Doesn't scripture really tell me to stand up for God's truth? And so I thought, well, what does Jesus say? John 15, verse 18. And Jesus says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So if I behave like Jesus, can I not then expect people not to like me? 
can I not expect some of them to actually hate me? And then I recalled another scripture, and this is in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so I feel this tension. I'm to stand up for God and his standards. At the same time, I'm to do my level best to love others. Stand up for God's rules, his ways, his principles, his love. Stand up for God's things. At the same time, I am to love others, do my best. And so how do I, how do I manage this tension? Isn't that how Jesus lived, though? Didn't he have that tension in his life? And didn't he manage that tension every day of his life? There are eight recorded occasions in Scripture where Jesus was invited to have a meal at someone else's house. Three of those occasions were inside the social norms of the day. Five of those occasions were outside of the social norms of the day. And so what I want us to do is to quickly look at the five occasions Jesus was invited to somebody's house for a meal that are outside of the social norms of the day and to see how Jesus acted and to see if there are things we can learn from him and apply to our lives so that we will be better at loving the outsiders. And so if you would, please, for just a moment, if you would bow your head and pray something along the lines of this. And after I say it, put it in your own words. God, as I learn about Jesus and how he loved and acted around outsiders, may I allow you to apply your truth to my life so I will love others as Jesus loved others. In your own words, Father, may we hear your voice, your spirit communicating to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Number one, Simon the leper, Matthew 26, verse six, Simon the leper. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at table. Now, Mr. Da Vinci, when he painted for us the Last Supper, did us a disservice when he had people sitting in chairs and getting on the other side of the table for the photograph. Didn't happen that way. In Jesus' day, the way people ate was they reclined at table. Now, they did something like this. They had coverings or they sat, they laid down with a pillow 
typically right handed on your left elbow. The table is here and you would go up here and you would grab your food with your organic tongs and you would eat your food. You would talk to the other people around you, but this is how you ate. Sometimes this was a low table, sometimes food was on a cloth. But when it talks about reclining at table, and that's what they did, they didn't do chairs. That's what they talked about. So Jesus was at Simon the leper's house and he was eating while he was reclining, everybody was reclining at the table. When the disciples, oh, so the, the lady came in and poured uh, the perfume on his head. So she probably came behind him and then poured the perfume on his head as he was there. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why, why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Two people, a leper. You were a good person, you didn't hang around with lepers. And yet, what is Jesus doing? He's with this leper in his house, sharing a meal at his table. And Jesus was quite comfortable being with this man. And then there was this woman, we know nothing about her. Was she invited? I don't think so. And she comes in and she begins pouring perfume on his head. And yet Jesus was comfortable with this woman as well. How, how would you feel in a situation like that? Would you feel comfortable? being around outsiders with this kind of stuff going on? Second out of the norm situation, another Simon, this one happens to be a Pharisee. He is a religious leader. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She was not invited. She intruded. She crashed the party, went there on her own, knowing people did not want her to be there. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping. And so he's there on the elbow and she comes in and she's at his feet. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she knelt down. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, 
he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus heard Simon's thoughts. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And so Jesus then relates a story. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So one person owed a lot, the other owed a whole lot. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so the moneylender forgave the debts of both. Now which of them, Simon, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And so, as he was talking to Simon and looking at him, for Jesus to have been a guest of Simon, Simon would have arranged it so he and Jesus could have talked. And so Jesus, in conversing with Simon, was looking at him. But now Jesus turns his gaze and looks at the woman who is kneeling at his feet. But he's going to speak to Simon. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my dusty feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss of greeting, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Though Simon was indignant with this woman's behavior, Jesus was not. That this was a sinful woman bothered Simon. Did it bother Jesus? Not in the slightest. Would it bother you? Number three. A prominent Pharisee, Luke 14, don't know his name. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Doesn't say reclined at table, I can promise you. That's what they're doing, reclining at the table. And as Jesus is being carefully watched, you may not think about people watching you. Actually, probably when you think at the least that they're watching you, they're paying attention to what you do, your attitude, how you come across, 
how you behave. In verses 2 through 11, which I'm not going into, Jesus healed a man. And when he did that, the Pharisees, they sat around silent, looking down their noses at Jesus. And so Jesus then began teaching them a lesson on humility. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So who did Jesus tell this Pharisee to invite to his home for dinner? The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In 2023, for you and for me, who are these people? Who are these individuals that Jesus expects us to rub elbows with, to mingle with them, to be with them, to spend time with them, to love them, and to let them know that we love them. Who are these people for you and for me? Zacchaeus, Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, an old city, and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was not tall, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, hearing this, stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So we have the scum of the earth, a tax collector, a Jew, who is working for the disgusting Romans, despised by the rest of the Jewish community. Yet Jesus willingly hung out with this man. Not only did Jesus willingly hang out with him, Jesus invited himself over to his house. He purposefully engaged in conversation with the guy to go to his house. 
Do we choose to be with people like this? Not like us? Number five, this guy is known by two different names by Levi or Matthew. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, now the there is not where we were because this is different scriptures. As Jesus went on from where he was at the time, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, still reclining, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples, tax collectors and sinners. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, Jesus overheard this too. He's, the guy's got great hearing. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I want you to be more concerned about loving people rather than doing religious things. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners. One reason Jesus enjoyed being with sinners was that he knew that they needed what he had to offer, which was eternal life. On your handout is this phrase, who did Jesus help in his day? And the answer is nobodies. He helped the nobodies. And there are five scriptures from the book of Mark which detail nobodies. I'm not going to recite who those are. Some of you, a very few of you, will want to go home and look up who those nobodies are. So they're there for you. But there are nobodies listed in these Mark scriptures that Jesus spent time with even though they're nobodies. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep who can't find their shepherd and they're just kind of doing their own thing and not really being where they're supposed to be and doing what they're supposed to do. Do you know anyone who's harassed and helpless? Who are the nobodies in your life? Someone you work for? Someone that works for you? Someone you see on occasion? A relative? Here's the key, Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Do I welcome sinners? Do I welcome outsiders? Do I share God's great grace with those outside the church? Do I share God's great grace with those who don't really like me and what I stand for or who may have a chip on their shoulder toward me or who they think I am? Do I have a heart for outsiders? Do I honestly love them even though I perceive them as obnoxious? How do outsiders feel when they are around me? If I were to ask those people who are outsiders that are around me to grade me on my behavior and my love for them, what kind of grade would they give me? This word is on your handout, your reputation. What would happen to your reputation if you started spending time with outsiders? Now, mind you, I'm not talking about you and I being just like them. Jesus was with all sorts and all kinds of people, and yet he was always true to God and always true to God's standards. Yet people without a doubt knew that though they maybe didn't go along with what Jesus thought, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loved them where they were in spite of how they were. Jesus upheld God's holiness at the same time he loved other people. No compromise. Question on your handout. What would happen if you and I started spending time with outsiders? The answer is this. They just might get in on the best deal in the whole world, which is knowing Jesus, having their sins forgiven, and getting eternal life. 1 John 2. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world world. Are you willing to deliver that message? Better still, are you willing to live in such a way that you are that message? Would you bow your head, please? Has an outsider come to your mind that Jesus wants you to love? Will you love that outsider? As you carry on this battle that you have right now, knowing the outsider is someone that, that God expects you to love as you're, as you're battling this, 
go ahead if you are willing and tell God you're willing, but he's got to help you. And ask him for the help. Ask him for the strength now, ask him for the compassion. The kind of compassion that Jesus had for the harassed and helpless. The kind of compassion that Jesus had for the obnoxious. The kind of compassion that Jesus had for those who hated him. If you are willing to love the outsider or the outsiders that you know of, commit to God that with his guidance and the spirit giving you the things to say and leading you, that you will reach out this week to the outsiders that God brings across your path. In a moment, we will sing a song concluding our service this morning. If you want someone to pray with you or for you, I invite you to come to the front as we sing. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, I invite you to come to the front. If you need to repent for not loving outsiders as you should, I invite you to do that up front. If you have never become a Christian, if you have never followed through in baptism and been immersed into Jesus, I invite you to come to the front. Someone will meet you and put their arm around you if that's what you want or need. They can pray with you or for you. You and they can speak in private. You can become a Christian today. If you're watching online, and any of these things I mentioned as an offer for people in this room, if any of these apply to you, if you will contact me with the information you see on the screen, I'll get in touch with you no later than tomorrow. Father, for the way that your spirit has moved hearts in this room and at home this morning. I ask that they respond now, not as I want, but only as you want. That you might have your way with them. May they hear your Spirit's voice. May they respond to your Spirit's nudge in their heart. May they do what you're telling them to do. And may we all be the people you want us to be.
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.